Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. This episode of From Page to Practice is a Charter College of Teaching Impact Journal special where I am joined by college members, fellows and chartered teachers to discuss the contents of the latest issue. If you enjoy the discussion and want to get a hold of your own copy of Impact, visit chartered.college and join as a member. Hi and welcome to the third Impact Journal special episode and the 16th episode of From Page to Practice. The overwhelming amount of content I have for today's episode means that I've actually split it into four parts, each downloadable separately so you can pick and choose what you want to hear or still download all four to listen in more manageable chunks. I'm going to stick more or less the order of the journal to make it easy for you to navigate. Where a contribution mentions multiple articles, I've tried to put it in the most logical place as well as a great number of people that I don't know who were more than happy to contribute when contacted on Twitter. This mini-series of episodes features someone I went to uni with, someone I've recently discovered was four years above me at school and we sang in choir together, a C-Teach colleague and a colleague from the Charter College Council. I'm so pleased to be welcoming them all on today. It's also the only episode where I've been told about people recording in bathrooms under duvets, in blanket forts or surrounded by cows. (laughs) The lengths people are willing to go to is impressive and I really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. A note for any listeners from the Charter College, apologies for the amount of time you're going to hear the word magazine and not journal. Finally, I'd like to ask if you enjoy these episodes, please pop a review on iTunes as it really helps me to reach more people. And this is being a colossal effort today for four episodes at once. Before we get into the content of the first section on teacher recruitment, retention and workload, we'll hear from Tanya Ovenden-Hope, who wrote the editorial for this edition. Thank you, Rebecca, for inviting me to come and speak on your podcast today. I'm Tanya Ovenden-Hope. I'm Professor of Education at Plymouth Marjon University and also Provost of Marjon University in Cornwall. I'm going to talk today about my guest editorial for the Chartered College of Teaching's Impact Journal. I was delighted when I was invited to be the guest editor on the latest edition of Impact. And it was interesting that as I was writing the editorial, based, as you normally would, on all of the articles that were contained within and our focus on professional learning and teacher retention, um, I became more and more aware that actually this couldn't be a normal editorial. It had to reflect what was going on around us. And at the end of March, I made the decision to actually refocus what I was writing on recognising and respecting the profession of teaching in a time of national crisis it became more and more evident that teachers and school leaders and college leaders were going above and beyond to take into account the needs of those key worker children and the most vulnerable children in ensuring that they had access and support with high quality education. They were opening um, their schools at a time where most people were feeling incredibly anxious about the risk involved with Um, catching and becoming very ill with COVID-19. So this editorial was written um, to reflect 
how we should hold the teaching profession, and that's across all sectors, in the highest esteem and the debt of thanks we owe them to maintaining opportunities for um, key worker children and vulnerable children to go into school and have some stability in a time of extreme crisis. This is why, unusually, I started with a quote from Winston Churchill and um, I wanted to use it because Winston Churchill actually identified that courage is the first of human qualities which underpins and guarantees all others. Now, what we've witnessed is the courage of school leaders, teachers, the teaching workforce, teaching assistants, college lecturers, college teachers, um, college leaders, being prepared to put themselves at risk to ensure that their students' needs come first. And those qualities, that virtue of actually putting others first is at the heart of the medical profession as well. And so I started to have a look at the teacher's standards and it was really um, illuminating to see that the teaching standards are very similar to the GMC um, Good um, Medical Guide. And I'll just check that I've actually got that phrase right. Uh, Good Medical Practice Guide. So um, I did start by having a look to see whether the Hippocratic Oath was still something that doctors swore, but apparently they don't. They are guided by the GMC's, the General Medical Council's Good Medical Practice Guide. And um, in that, it states that good doctors make care of their patients their first concern. In the teacher's standards, it states that teachers make the education of their pupils their first concern. And so the similarity between the two professions jumps out at you right from the start and you realise that both teaching and medicine has an honesty and integrity that transcends politics and transcends uh, personal needs to ensure that those that we in education have um, pledged to support, develop, enhance through our own professional development and knowledge and expertise is the same as the medical profession. And so from that starting point, um, I use these similarities to demonstrate how the education profession has also worked through the COVID-19 pandemic to the best of its ability and with very little guidance. Um, If we look back, we can see that the schools were up and ready and open for key worker children and vulnerable children prior to the safeguarding guidance that came out from the Department for Education. These are expert professionals who know what they need to do and they were prepared to do it and they continue to do it. And um, while this was emerging in front of me and I was writing the editorial, it became clear that the efforts and the sacrifices that school school leaders, college leaders, school teachers, the whole education workforce were making was being recognised by the public. Now, I don't think I'm too far afield when I say that um, teaching as a profession has come under scrutiny from the public um, for some time. 
I think there's a lack of understanding or disconnect between the amount of work that goes on outside of school time and the amount of work that's done in school time and that school time work being the only perceived work that the public see. I believe now that they've actually recognised that there's public um, acknowledgement and acceptance of the amount of work that um, the education workforce do. Um, even the Secretary of State, Gavin Williamson, um, tweeted on the 28th of March, at the end of a difficult week, I would like to say a massive thank you to all the school leaders, teachers and staff who've shown immense dedication as they step up to help this country tackle the coronavirus. We have, teachers have, school leaders have, the whole education workforce has stepped up and it continues to do so. And so I've been quite disappointed um, in the last couple of weeks to see the teacher bashing that's gone on in the press, particularly the Daily Mail, and uh, a suggestion that actually teachers are being led astray by unions or by their own petard not to want to open schools to other year groups because schools are open. They have been open. They've never been closed. Um, and there is no way that teachers do not want to provide a high quality education for their students, for their pupils. What they want to do is provide that education safely. And so I have been disappointed to see a move in um, social media and media representation of teachers' efforts, that effort that was recognised by the Minister for Education um, on the 28th of March. Um, that said, I'm hoping that um, people will see beyond the rhetoric of the Daily Mail and um, other um, media representation of how teachers have responded to a request to open schools from actually, what's the day today? Gosh, uh, tomorrow, 1st of June, um, four other year groups, starting with reception, year one, year six, and then in a couple of weeks' time, um, year 12 and year 10, um, or lower sixth, if you're in a sixth form college or FE college. Um, my work with multi-academy trusts as a trustee has demonstrated that our school leaders are the experts, they do know what they're doing, and that for them to assess the risk of opening to other year groups is a decision that they need to take. The guidance that we have at the moment for opening to other year groups in schools isn't mandatory, it's not statutory, it's guidance, um, it's a recommendation. And I've been pleased to see that lots of CEOs have had the support of their board of trustees to take their time in making this decision to reopen to other year groups. And many will not reopen fully on the 1st of June, but will use that time to risk assess and make ready their classrooms as a safe environment for both um, pupils, students and staff. So my editorial. My editorial was an opportunity to really share with Chartered College of Teaching members and a wider audience um, um, my thoughts on what the teaching profession uh, has done to support this country in a time of extreme crisis, extreme anxiety and before we have a new normal. I'm hoping 
that the way in which um, the education workforce has responded will make the government think about the way in which decision-making is made within the Department for Education and actually recognise that there's a better way. There's a way that utilises the expertise of those who um, lead our schools and lead our colleges to take us forward into a, a new normal that is about um, an evidence-based um, and informed approach to what works and what's effective in supporting a high-quality outcome for all of our students and pupils. I'd like to end by saying that the important issues covered in this copy of Impact, teacher retention, recruitment, workload, professional learning, teacher expertise, leadership, resilience, mental health, all of those concerns need to be addressed in the future. And if the government remember how teachers and education leaders responded during the pandemic, I hope they will put our experts first in making the decisions on how to address these concerns. Thank you so much for your time today and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. You're listening to From Page to Practice, a Chartered College Impact Journal special. Join the Chartered College and we'll support you to deliver CPD for you and your colleagues, improve teaching and learning and student outcomes and reduce workload by engaging with the latest research of what works and why. As I previously mentioned, I'm going to stick to the order of the journal contents. So now we're going to hear from Jack Worth of the National Foundation for Educational Research about his article on teacher autonomy, followed by Rachel Ball with her reflections. I'm Jack Worth. I'm the lead economist at the National Foundation for Educational Research, NFER, uh, and I've written an article for the latest edition of the Impact Journal, uh, all about teachers' sense of professional autonomy and how that relates to their job satisfaction and their retention. So a lot of my work is focused on understanding the factors that uh, that relate to teacher retention at the moment, given that we face uh, a huge teacher supply challenge uh, in England in particular. Um, increasing numbers of pupils uh, and lots of teachers leaving the profession every year. Um, if we can reduce, uh, improve retention, then we can uh, help to solve that challenge. Uh, and the importance of autonomy for this uh, came through our recent research, which we published uh, on the NFER website. Uh, so the, some of the key findings from that were that uh, autonomy uh, teachers' sense of the influence they have over different areas of their work uh, is strongly related to their job satisfaction and to their intention to stay in the profession. It's also related to uh, how manageable teachers think their workload is. Um, so there's a really important role that autonomy plays in teachers' perceptions of their workload and how satisfied they are in the job and ultimately how likely they are to stay in the profession. Uh, and we also found that uh, teachers' sense of autonomy is lower than there is in other professions. This suggests that teaching uh, is missing a trick uh, in terms of making the most of professional autonomy uh, among among teachers uh, and the, the retention benefits that that can bring. Uh, we also wanted to look at uh, autonomy in more detail. So we asked lots of survey questions about different aspects of teachers' work. Uh, and unsurprisingly, there was some variation between kind of a high level of autonomy in the classroom practice uh, and lower uh, autonomy around uh, school level things uh, like uh, data and assessment. Um, but one of the really surprising things um, was that 
uh, teachers' sense of professional autonomy over their professional development goals uh, was particularly low, and it was also really strongly associated with job satisfaction and retention. Um, so we worked with the Teacher Development Trust, who put together a fantastic resource for schools uh, to really understand how to uh, make the most of autonomy uh, as part of the school culture and particularly in the area of professional development. Uh, and I guess our key recommendations uh, and key takeaways uh, are mostly for those who are in leadership positions. Um, so I'll give you three now. Um, so the first is that uh, when reviewing any policies, so assessment and marking policy or the professional development policy, um, it's really important, uh, we think, to put an autonomy lens on that uh, to understand is there uh, what are the implications of uh, this particular policy in the way it's laid out for teachers' sense of uh, influence over their own work. Um, and that matters not just how it's written, but also how it's enacted in practice. Uh, number two, uh, think hard about the design uh, and delivery of professional development for teachers. Uh, it's really important for teachers' engagement with professional development that they think uh, perceive that the professional development they're undertaking is really relevant. Uh, so making sure they have a role in choosing those goals uh, can be really important for, uh, for ensuring that. And then number three, more generally, uh, it's important to explore how teachers can be meaningfully, meaningfully involved and engaged uh, in the way that the school defines its organisational development priorities uh, and how it makes decisions more widely. Uh, and that's really important for ensuring that teachers have a voice, uh, have some buy-in to which direction the school's going in uh, and have uh, some feeling of autonomy and get great job satisfaction and that that is a great place to work. Uh, you can find out more information about the research on the NFER website, uh, that is www.nfer.ac.uk. Uh, and if you put forward slash teacher autonomy, you can find all, all the resources related uh, to this uh, piece of research. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter. I am um, at worth, W-O-R-T-H underscore Jack. Thanks very much. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. My name's Rachel Ball, Assistant Principal in charge of teaching and learning in a large secondary academy. I tweet at Mrs Ball AP and you can read my blog at theeducationalimpostors.wordpress.com. I'm always really interested to read Impact, the magazine from the Chartered College of Teaching. I think the articles are really timely, they're useful and they're challenging. Um, so when the summer issue arrived recently, um, it was a great lockdown delivery. There were several articles which I thought were really useful, but I'm going to talk about just two that had an impact on me. Um, I thought they were really relevant and I've already put some actions in place after reading them. The first one was the article written by Jack Worth from the National Foundation for Educational Research on autonomy. The article explains the study that's been done between the NFER and the Teacher Development Trust, which shows that autonomy does relate to greater job satisfaction and therefore retention, which is something obviously we're thinking about a lot in the current climate. The study found, for example, that teachers having influence over their professional goals led to greater job satisfaction and that there's an importance for school leaders in building a culture where there's an intrinsic motivation to do well and part of that can come from autonomy. This is something that I've been already thinking about quite a lot um, as I'm responsible for planning our CPD programme for next year along with my senior leadership team. 
I know that as teaching and learning lead that there is a foundation of knowledge and priorities that I want all the staff in the school to have, but I also want them to be able to opt into the most relevant CPD for them personally and for their subject teams. So there are some sessions on our calendar which, for example, have whole school delivery because they are absolutely vital to our whole school priorities and we want the same message to go to everyone at the same time and everybody be implementing that particular strategy. However, there is still a large amount of CPD time available on our calendar uh, where we plan for staff to decide on their own priorities and either opt in as a department or opt in as individuals to the most relevant CPD for them and obviously that fits in with this theme of autonomy. So, for example, one group might be working on an aspect of retrieval practice, whilst another group may think that refining their questioning technique is a real priority for them. In addition to this, um, at the Academy, we have tied our performance management process into this CPD. So all staff complete an action research project based on an area that's relevant to them. This year, for example, some members of staff studied Boys Don't Try by Matt Pinkett and Mark Roberts um, after one of our members of staff did a brilliant whole school session on it. So this group have researched a strategy from the book, they've trialled it with pupils and they've evaluated its success and they therefore have a real element of control and autonomy around their performance management. I have to be honest and say autonomy is something that I'm still grappling with um, in terms of getting the right balance but I do think it's such an important focus for school leaders given what the research says. We want staff at our academy to have buy-in for our vision and feel part of the decision-making process. We want them to feel that the professional development that they are receiving or taking part in is relevant and helpful and that they are respected as the high-quality professionals that they are. Um, I'm still absolutely fascinated with this particular element of autonomy and I will be blogging about it in the near future. You're listening to From Page to Practice, a Chartered College Impact Journal special. Join the Chartered College and we'll connect you with the experts through our research, CPD we offer, networks, webinars and events, and our brilliant CPD packs, which are ready to go staff training sessions. The next article we are going to hear about is on teacher workload and its relation to student outcomes. It's by Jemima Rees-Evans and she is here to talk to us about it. Hello, my name is Jemima Rees-Evans. I'm from Charles Dickens Primary and Research School. And I'm going to talk a little bit about reducing teacher workload and how that can have a really positive impact on pupil outcomes. So at my school, we started on our journey um, in about 2016 when we did a research project to look at the impact of removing written marking, looking at the impact on both teacher workload and on pupil outcomes in English and maths. And we did that across five primary schools in Southwark. And we replaced written marking with a range of strategies. So we had self and peer assessment. uh, We had verbal feedback. We did live marking. At the time, we weren't doing whole class feedback, but we've since sort of introduced that into the repertoire as well. uh, And individual and small group conferencing as well. And what we found from that across across the context, really, is that teachers saved an average of about six hours a week from their workload and that there was no impact, either positive or negative, on pupil outcomes in English and maths. And we measured that through entry and exit tests using age-standardised scores for maths, and we did some quite comprehensive um, 
writing moderation when we were looking at English. Um, so that was really encouraging. And even more encouraging was that all of the schools that were part of that project then went on to change their marking policies. So they adopted um, a more varied form of feedback strategies. Very little evidence that written marking has a, has a proportionate impact on pupil outcomes given the amount of time it takes. Um, we've also done several other things to address teacher workload as well. We've changed the way we plan, so we've introduced schemes of work, fully resourced schemes of work across several subject areas. In math, we've brought a scheme in. Uh, in humanities and science, we've created our own fully resourced schemes of work because that's where we had expertise. And I think that's a really important point, is that because we had the subject experts planning those units, we've got really high quality units. And yes, of course, those can be tweaked. Of course, those can be personalised to the cohort of children. But the basis is there. And of course, teachers now have more time to do that tweaking, that personalising, that changing the planning in response to what's happened during the day because they're spending less time on marking. Um, we've also got rid of detailed narrative reporting and instead we just um, give a sort of simple attainment and effort grade for each of the subject areas and we do that in February and in July and then with a short comment um, rather than sort of reams and reams of, um, of narrative and that's had quite a significant impact. And it's really all been about understanding that teachers' time is finite and if we want the very best for our pupils, we really want teachers to be focusing on those things with, with maximum impact. Using the EEF teacher um, toolkit, we can see that those are things like really improving the quality of our feedback, improving metacognitive skills um, and spending time on, on planning and on honing the effective teaching in the classroom. And if we want teachers to be able to do these things really well, then we need to make sure that we've removed those barriers for them. Um, if you'd like to find out more about the practical written, um, or the strategies to replace written marking, then if you Google Mark Less, Mark Better booklet, there's a free download which has got the sort of the pros and cons of all of the alternatives to written marking, so self and peer assessment, live marking, verbal feedback, whole class feedback, um, and also some pitfalls. Obviously, we made huge numbers of mistakes along the way. Uh, what's been really interesting as well is in this year, this school year, 19 to 20, we've run um, a project looking, supporting schools to use the DfE's workload toolkit and looking at the impact of that on pupil outcomes and teacher workload. And that's been interesting because it's given us an opportunity to work with secondaries and special schools across a range of different workload areas. So looking at performance management, looking at lesson observations, looking at communications and also marking and feedback and collaborative planning. And in all cases, we've found that reduced teacher workload has gone hand in hand with improved pupil outcomes. So I think that's it from me. Um, do get in touch if you'd like to find out more. But otherwise, thanks very much for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Lucy Kelly wrote a particularly interesting article on diary writing, so here she is to talk about it, followed by two different teacher reflections. Hello, my name is Lucy Kelly and I am a senior lecturer in education at the University of Bristol. My article for this edition of Impact is called Reclaiming Teacher Wellbeing Through Reflective Diary Writing. 
And in the article, I use some of the findings from the latest Teacher Wellbeing Index, as well as the main results from a recent pilot project called Reimagining the Diary to promote diary writing as a positive tool for individual teacher wellbeing. Because I believe that as well as a retention and recruitment crisis, we're also experiencing a teacher wellbeing crisis. Although the pilot project for our Reimagining the Diary project was small in terms of sample and the Teacher Wellbeing Index has a small data collection, I feel that the article in Impact offers a springboard into future conversations, both personally and professionally. The Reimagining the Diary project asked 15 teachers to keep a diary for a week in term time and then reflect on the process and implications on their wellbeing through an online survey. Over 93% of our participants did perceive an improvement in their well-being. For them, the diary acted as a space of catharsis, celebration and looking at an event from different perspectives. 60% of those participants said they would continue using the diary and 80% said they would recommend it to somebody else. In the Teacher Wellbeing Index, workload is cited by 74% as the main reason teachers leave the profession and work-related stress levels have seriously increased. 74% of teachers also found it difficult to switch off and relax, which was a contributing factor to a negative work-life balance. However, I would suggest, as seen in our project, that diary writing gives individuals time to press pause and give to themselves. As one participant noted, diary writing gave me the chance to talk about myself to myself, in a profession that has no end point and that is always on the go, it's really difficult to stop and to take a moment for yourself. But it's vital if we want to maintain positive well-being both inside the classroom and outside of it. It's also a chance, I would say, to notice and to look at your teaching lives from a different perspective, which might lower those results around insomnia and sleeping. 52% of participants in the Teacher Wellbeing Index reported this, especially if we couple that with the cathartic element of diary writing and it being an opportunity for teachers to download their day onto the page. For those participants using the diary in this way, to download and to reflect on their day, it was quite, quote, a stress buster, according to one of our participants. And they didn't actually see it as another job on their to-do list. It was something that they wanted to do and that they felt bereft if they didn't do it. It also helped those participants to separate work from home. If we go back to the Teacher Wellbeing Index and 74% of those completing the survey finding it difficult to switch off and relax then I think we need to think about how we can bookend our days and establish some parameters around work and home. And the participants in our project really found diary writing helpful in relation to this. In teaching, work bleeds into home and there's no separation. But for those participants who did download their day onto the page, it acted as a bookend, it acted as a clear boundary between work and home and actually helped them to switch off. Using the diary as a cathartic tool also helped those teachers that we worked with to talk via the written words. One participant called the diary a, quote, venting tool and, quote, a vault of all their secrets. And this is extremely important in relation to the Teacher Wellbeing Index finding of 27% of respondents not talking to anyone about mental health issues they'd experienced at work. 
perhaps the diary is a space for those participants to actually start a conversation and to articulate how they're feeling before seeking further help. As well as catharsis, diary writing gives you an opportunity for celebration and to look at an event from different perspectives. I think it's really important for teachers to document the good as well as the bad and the ugly because it can reconnect you to your purpose and remind you of the wonderful job you're doing. I think as teachers we are perfectionists, teaching attracts perfectionists and it's really easy for us as teachers to focus on the black dot and the white page but actually we need to see all of the white space all of the good that we bring to our teaching lives and to really celebrate that and to pause and to to connect with the wonderful job that we're doing and that's where diaries being a space for teachers to reconnect to their why is vital because it might actually help teachers to have those conversations both personally and professionally that help them to feel valued and if we go back to the teacher well-being index not feeling valued was the second reason teachers leave the profession for one participant in our project it gave me time to reflect on my practice and think about my role at my current school it made me reflect on the sort of practitioner I aspire to be in terms of my philosophy so in conclusion I would say that diary writing might be a small but important step in reducing some of the results in the teacher wellbeing index and improving the life of our teachers inside and outside the classroom because knowing ourselves on a deeper level can only be positive. So on that note, I'd encourage everyone to start or go back to their diary. Happy writing. If you'd like to know more about me and the Reimagining the Diary project, then you can follow me at at Dr. Lucy Kelly on Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. You're listening to From Page to Practice, a Chartered College Impact Journal special. Join the Chartered College and help us celebrate the profession to build value and trust amongst the education community and share your voice to shape your profession. My name's Julie Fleming and I'm the Head of Department for Business Law and Economics and Vocational Lead at Sackville School in East Grinstead. And I wanted to reflect on um, an article from issue nine of Impact magazine, Reclaiming Teacher Wellbeing Through Reflective Diary Writing, written by Lucy Kelly from the School of Education at the University of Bristol. This article was set against the backdrop of some concerning teacher wellbeing figures and the levels of work-related stress, especially with regard to the number of teachers who are retained within the profession and how those within the profession are managing their work-life balance. This was an area that I have been particularly concerned about as a departmental leader. The article sought to promote diary writing as a positive tool for individual teacher well-being and was based on a small survey of about 15 participants. The diary research project asked mainly secondary school teachers to keep a diary to reflect on the process and the impact that writing a diary had on their well-being. There were some really positive figures from this, with findings of 93% perceiving an improvement in well-being and over 86% of the group advising others to keep a diary, which suggested to me that initially this finding seemed like a positive idea. I did note though that the article went on to say that 60% said would continue with the practice, perhaps a little lower than some of those other figures, suggesting that there could be 
some issues relating in doing it. My initial concern would be the problem of time. Where would I, or those that worked with me, find the time to write a journal? And would this journal writing add more to that work-related stress as an additional piece of work to do? In the article, they talked about it being an opportunity to press pause to allow some me time or to slow down and allow reflection. The article referred to writings from Godley, who talked about that noticing principle being within that thought process of noticing what was happening around you and talked about the therapeutic benefits of this reflection process. And I could see that this was potentially something that we could benefit from. I was even quite inspired by the idea that it might stimulate future conversations about people's aspirations as they began to reflect upon why they were doing the roles and where they perceived their careers going. So I could see some really positive points coming further. The conclusions drawn in the article that diary writing could reduce some of the results of the Teacher Wellbeing Index and improve lives suggested that this would be worth some kind of implementation and practice. So I wondered how I could do this. As a mentor of new teachers within the school, we do encourage teacher trainees to reflect and write a journal about how their lessons are going. So I didn't feel it would be too much of an obstacle to overcome by asking those to continue this process and see the benefits that they had seen initially through it. And I felt that having these journals would allow us to have conversations and discussions as a team about some of our more personal insights, taking away the day-to-day teacher pressures and looking in a more holistic way. I have a colleague who's been writing a journal for years. He finds it very helpful to reflect upon previous journals and where the pinch points were in the academic year. Where did he experience the most stress? And to see that there are often rhythms and that from those moments when we feel most stressed, we can see in the future that things will become less stressful. In terms of implementation, I think the simplest way would be just to replicate this one week trial in a small group with a small number of people to sort of think about for one week, can they reflect upon what they are feeling and experiencing in their work To make it more widespread in the future, one of the things that we do is we print planning diaries for our teachers. Is this something that could be added to the end of a page so that people who wanted to continue with the process could use a simple reflection, looking back at a day or a week of teaching and see how that could help them. But I would feel the most important element is to allow those in the department time to do this, to suggest that actually this would be a good use of their time after school in order to reflect and go through this process. Without the time, I don't think it could be successful. In order to help me implement this, I'll probably be looking at one of the references from the article um, as something to look at, and that would be Hayes's Write Yourself Positive, The Art of Positive Journaling. I feel using this literature will help me understand how to model this diary writing to a team. With teacher wellbeing being so important, 
alongside things like mental health awareness and the pressures that we are now having under the current restrictions, this could be a good opportunity to take this project forward. Although I am concerned that some of my journal will be less Samuel Pepys and perhaps more Adrian Mole. Thank you for listening. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Around the time that my mother passed away, I was advised to write a journal or diary by a counsellor to help with my well-being. So I read with interest the article in the latest Impact magazine called Reclaiming Teacher Wellbeing Through Reflective Diary Writing. When I was writing my own diary or journal a few years ago, I only wrote a few entries. I'm not actually sure if it did much good, but it gave me something positive to do. I recently found diaries written just before my teen years. They were very formulaic, no reflection whatsoever. So I've had two attempts in the past to write a diary. I'm not sure they did much good to my well-being. During my PGC, I was encouraged to reflect on almost everything that I did. Not in diaries per se, um, but in various forms to make sure we were reflecting what we were doing and what we were observing. As an NQT, I still needed to reflect a lot, but had even less time to do it. There were more pressures, more need for time out to, re- to reflect. I noticed that in the article in the Impact magazine, it says that this is one of the barriers to keeping a diary. Just before Christmas this year, last year, I was signed off for six weeks due to mental health issues and consequently resigned from my post as a teacher. I'm now a supply teacher, or at least I was before the lockdown, and I'm still an NQT. I often have gaps between my supply gigs, and this would be the perfect time for me to reflect in a diary. Lots of my days as a supply teacher have ups and downs, and on my journey home I probably tend to focus more on the negative things of the day. Keeping a journal, or at least thinking about keeping a journal, might help me to reflect on the positives, and of course I'll be able to learn from each of those. My reflective diary entries might also help me to provide evidence for my Welsh teaching standards as part of my NQT induction. So all in all, I think that keeping a journal in the future would be a useful thing for me to do. I just hope that I can find the time and motivation to do it. You're listening to From Page to Practice, a Chartered College Impact Journal special. Join the Chartered College and we'll support you to deliver CPD for you and your colleagues, improve teaching and learning and student outcomes, and reduce workload by engaging with the latest research of what works and why. The final article of this episode is on teacher well-being, so I'm very pleased to be welcoming back Kat Howard, author of Stop Talking About Wellbeing, to give her reflections on the article. Hi, my name's Kat Howard. I'm an assistant principal at an all-through school in Northamptonshire. I'm also author of the book Stop Talking About Wellbeing, A Pragmatic Approach to Teacher Workload. Um, And I wanted to talk about um, the kind of key takeaways that I took from the article in um, Impact this quarter by Sam Crone and Rachel Sees around rethinking teacher wellbeing. Um, It was a really pertinent article for me, not just um, um, being quite passionate and interested in teacher wellbeing and teacher workload generally, but I think it was um, really um, quite a fantastic article to read at this moment in time as well and where where we're at both as a society but also as a profession and where we're kind of putting our our energies into what what we should maybe give our time to and what maybe 
we shouldn't give our time to or invest our energy in and the impact that that has on our well-being. And Sam and Rachel refer to the NFER report um, that's been referenced quite a lot. And I know that Jack has um, Jack Worth, who put the the report together, also um, has written an article for the the same um, the same edition of Impact. Um, but Rachel and Sam kind of really draw from that um, report to highlight this connection. Um, between teacher well-being and um, curriculum and CPD, and kind of that that overarching sense of purpose that's that's essential to making us feel um, that we are collectively part of um, this kind of you know wider purpose that that we're bringing something to the table, and that's that's really important um, as a teacher to feel that you have this sense of purpose, that you understand where you fit in the the greater scheme of things you know you as a cog and where you kind of sit within that that greater mechanism of a school um and um particularly now that's really important i think whilst we're working remotely that it can it can be quite easy to feel that sense of disconnect and how we're ensuring that we um continue to um make staff feel valued um, and feel that they're part of the the greater sense of purpose. The other area that the article um, of the article that really resonated with me was this connection to um, CPD as well and how important that is, how interconnected that is again with teacher purpose, this sense of autonomy of um, the fact that how we're defining the role of the teacher and where we're encouraging teachers to really invest their time and the article also talked about this use of time and how actually sometimes teachers feel that their well-being is impacted not as a result of how many hours they're working but how how that time is being spent in schools and it really made me think about um, how to particularly with, you know, a staff body in mind, how we ensure that time is being dedicated by teachers to the right things, to the work, um, and and how we ensure that curriculum and professional development um, are the things that we should hold in the highest regard, um, because that is essentially the, the core kind of fundamental duties of of um, the role of a teacher um, so there's loads to kind of take away and, and think about with that article but it, it really made me think about how we um, not just encourage teachers to do that um, in a business as usual sense but how we ensure that we maintain that while we're working remotely while things may feel slightly more disjointed um, when external factors are going to be um, really quite ever-pressing for teachers on their own well-being and how we kind of mitigate for that and how we support staff moving forward. So, um, yeah, loads to take away from, um, from that article. Definitely well worth a read. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. I hope you've enjoyed part one and four of the issue nine of the Chartered College Impact Journal. We'll jump straight into professional learning and teacher expertise in the next episode. Remember, if you found it at all useful or enjoyable, a quick iTunes review would be really greatly appreciated to help more people find the podcast. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Alternatively, to suggest a book or article or volunteer to contribute to an episode 
visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.